Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wool. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more. Walk on over to Walters for Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Tip at 9 p.m. this Thursday night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. First pitch to Riley. Launched to left center field. Way back. Going, going, and long gone. Edward Sats, here's the pitch. Swing and a long drive by Riley. Deep left field, down the line. Going, going, and going goodbye. Another two-run home run for Austin Riley. The Braves have put three on the board here in the top of the eighth inning. And it's now Atlanta 8 and Washington 2. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, June 16th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It's going to be hard for any national series this season to be worse than what happened at the New York Mets May 30th through June 1st. Uh, That was that three-game sweep for the Nats, uh, during which the Nats got outscored at 28-5. But uh, we have a series now that is at least in the same zip code as that series. The Nats on Wednesday night lost to the Atlanta Braves 8-2 at Nationals Park, completing a three-game sweep during which the Nats ended up being outscored 27-11. The Braves are flying. They now have won 14 consecutive games. The Nats are sinking. They now have a National League worst record of 23-42. The Nats' run differential for the season is is at minus 102 as the Nats have crossed the minus 100 run differential threshold a mere 65 games into their season. Uh, Mark, this was an ugly series. This is a very difficult time for the Nats right now. And what we thought might be a brutal series for the Nats, unfortunately, ended up being just that. I think that's the worst part, Al, is that we kind of saw this coming. You had a hunch that might be like this. Now, I guess it was even worse than we predicted at the outset because you were at least assuming that Josiah Gray would start one game and that Steven Strasburg would start one game and neither of those things happened. And then you see what the end result of it all was. And yet I come out of this, and this is not in any way to try to compliment the Nationals. That's not what I'm trying to say here at all. It's to compliment the Braves. I think the last three nights were more a reflection of just how good the Braves are right now. I don't think it mattered who they were playing. The Braves are absolutely on fire right now. We know their lineup can do so much damage, but look at the guys doing it. It's 
Orlando Arcia, who's filling in after Ozzy Albies got hurt. It's Michael Harris II. It's guys up and down the lineup, especially at the bottom of the lineup. And then allegedly their number five starter, Spencer Strider, who looks like Cy Young. It's hard not to be impressed after the last three nights with the Atlanta Braves. And I'll tell you what, if I'm the New York Mets, I am sweating bullets right now. The Braves are coming for them and there's a long way to go. And I think they've cut the deficit down to four games now. Yeah, the Braves are charging. There's no doubt. And uh, this is starting to feel like so many other recent seasons have felt, which is the Braves are going to end up winning this division, but we shall see. But, you know, the Atlanta Braves to me are what the Nationals in so many ways should strive to be. The Braves, remember, dipped down, but the dip down didn't last for very long. The Braves rebuilt and retooled and got good again quickly. And the Braves have become really one of the class organizations in baseball in terms of player development and winning year in and year out. And look, I don't like saying that. Nobody in these parts likes the Braves, but this is what good teams do. And the Braves suffer injuries, like you just said, Ozzie Albies. The Braves have had problems with starting pitchers going down, and yet the Braves just keep churning. And, you know, that's why you look at them and you look at the Nats, and, you know, we all understand why the Nats are where they are. But boy, a series like this just slaps you right in the face in terms of what the team needs to be and what the team right now is not. Uh, No Juan Soto on Wednesday night for a second consecutive game. He remained out with his uh, right knee contusion. You know, you watch this series and the Braves just mashed like crazy. 13 home runs for Atlanta over the three games. And, you know, it's hard enough for the Nats. You take out their best player over the final two games. It's like, what are we doing here? But uh, where are we with Juan Soto in the right knee contusion? It sounds like, you know, they're pretty optimistic he's going to play Thursday against the Phillies. Stopping and going bothered him some. So you know, at this point, I'm just going to be smart. Uh, he said he really feels like one more day could really help him. So um, he was available pinch hit today if we need him. Uh, but tomorrow, you know, hopefully he comes in. He's a lot better and he'll be in the lineup. He took batting practice. He looked pretty good, I thought. I even asked him. He came down in the dugout. I was sitting in there and I said, hey, how are you doing? He said, I'm good. All good. Okay. Well, then he still needed to go out to the outfield and test it. And this was where the concern was. I think it's on the running side of things as opposed to him hitting. So they decided, let's not take a chance. It is a contusion. It's a bruise of his knee. So I don't think there's a whole lot of concern about him doing something worse by trying to play on it. It's probably just a pain tolerance thing. And if they're concerned about him being able to run, there was no reason to push it in this case. So you can get that. Now, allegedly, he was available to pinch hit. I got to tell you, I was actually sitting in the camera well right by the dugout because I was doing sideline reporting for Masson. And I was watching Juan. It wasn't that far from me. And he was wearing his pullover the entire game. So if he was available to pinch hit, he was not preparing to pinch hit. Now, maybe that was a reflection of the score late. If it's a close game, maybe he takes the pullover off, goes down in the tunnel, starts taking some swings. By that point, the game was starting to get out of hand. He probably knew it wasn't going to happen. But it seemed to me like they were, once they decided he wasn't going to start, it was kind of like, You're only going to pinch hit if the game's on the line and we have a great opportunity for you. We'll see. On Thursday, you hope it's good enough. Uh, It is pretty striking. I know he's not having the best season by his standards, but it's pretty striking to see what a difference it makes when he's not in that lineup. It does, especially to guys who are supposed to be good, too. Look up what Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell did in the one game in this series in which Juan Soto played, and then look up what Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz did over the final two games of this series. You know, When a guy like Soto was down, right, you want your other horses to emerge, to carry the load, and uh, that did not happen here. Nelson Cruz on Wednesday night, 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. He on Tuesday night went 0 for 4 with a strikeout. Bell on Wednesday night, 
0 for 3 with a walk in two strikeouts. This off him on Tuesday night, having gone 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. So Cruz and Bell went hitless over the final two games as the Nats are without Juan Soto. It's hard to view that as just being coincidental. And boy, is that disappointing. I mean, this lineup needed someone to emerge. And like we talked about on the last installment of the podcast, A. Ray Adrianza was your top offensive producer on Tuesday night. And on Wednesday night, look, you got a nice solo homer from Luis Garcia, got a good looking RBI single from K. Barrett Ruiz. But you needed your firepower to be firing if you're going to have any shot in these games against Atlanta. And you didn't have that over the final two games. Look, I know Nelson Cruz has been on a nice run here for over a month, but at this stage at age 41, is he the guy you build your lineup around? No. He's a little more of a complimentary player. He's the guy you want hitting behind the big guy. So for him to be hitting third, he looked overwhelmed. I mean, everybody was overwhelmed by Spencer Strider, but Cruz especially was late on everything. He could not catch up with that or the other guys he faced later on. You know, you hope it's a little blip and that it does make a difference when Soto's back and Cruz can hit behind him. But he and Josh Bell both, you know, did not step up when, frankly, they needed to if they were going to have any hope of this. And yet, I mean, there's a point in this game, they cut it to 3-2, and you're thinking they might actually do something here, especially once they got Strider out. And then they kind of blew it, and then the bullpen poured gasoline on the fire, and the next thing you know, it's a blowout game. But at 3-2... I'm thinking they, this might at least be interesting here the rest of the way. And it did not happen that way for a couple of reasons, which I'm sure we're going to get to here. Yeah, uh, the bullpen was not good and the starting pitcher uh, was not good. But that's the thing. Like, you face the Braves, you can't try to win it, or at least it's going to be tough to win it, you know, 3-2, 4-3. Three, three. You know, it's like trying to beat the Chiefs or the Bills 17-10. Like, good luck if you can do it, great. But like, no, you got to put up 30-plus points if you're going to beat those teams. You got to put up right now, it feels like five, six, seven runs if you're going to beat the Braves. And the Nats just were not doing that here in this series. But yeah, like we said, Luis Garcia did homer on Wednesday night. You know, it's hard to feel great about anything with the Nats right now, but we should not uh, minimize this. We should not understate this. Luis Garcia is hitting in this latest go-round at the major league level. He was back down to being the Nats' number eight batter on Wednesday night as the Nats' starting shortstop, but he went one for three with a solo homer. He in a Nats' one-run fifth had a two-out solo homer to right center field to cut the Nats' deficit to 3-1 and to end the no-hit bid of Spencer Strider. Boy, that would not have been pretty. Uh, The homer went a projected 420 feet per stat cast. We've talked about Garcia doesn't necessarily look the part of a big power hitter, but he can hit balls a long way. And Garcia now is up to slugging 519 with a 368 on base percentage and a 352 batting average over his 14 games since being called up from AAA Rochester. You know, we've talked about the defense, and that's a work in progress. But boy, the offense is here right now. You know, his bat is playing at the major league level. And what I like is I've seen development here from where he was when he first came up a couple years ago. Yeah, there were some flashes, and you could see that power and say, boy, this guy might be something special. But what you're seeing now is a more advanced approach at the plate. He's hitting lefties. He's hitting the ball to the opposite field. He's hitting with two strikes, still having the ability to then turn on a fastball. That pitch, 97 up and in. It was in the strike zone, but up and in, and he turned on it, and it was a no-doubter to right center field. I really like uh, what we're seeing, and it is a continuation of what he was doing at AAA, and that's very encouraging to see that he's having the same success against big league pitching. Now, it's been, what, 
two weeks, two and a half weeks since he was called up. You want to see this consistently now. You want to see that as pitchers start to get a sense of what he's doing and come up with a game plan that he's able to adapt to it. The thing about him, you mentioned the um, on-base percentage. It's barely higher than the batting average. I think he has, what, probably one walk right now. And the hit-by-pitch, actually, looks like he's okay, by the way. That looks scary. Took it off the forum, but it appears he's all right. They know he's not going to draw his walks. He's not going to work the count. That's just not who he is. And they're telling him, don't try to be that guy. You are a good contact hitter. Just make sure you're not chasing pitches out of the zone. Take those. But if it's anywhere near the zone, go for it. He's showing he can hit the ball the other way. That's a great sign. And if he can hit for a high average like that, then you can live without a lot of walks because the on-base is automatically going to be high. They're keeping him at the bottom of the lineup for now, keep the pressure off him. But it'll be interesting to see if he keeps it up. At what point do they maybe start to move him up in the order? And how does he handle that? The more responsibility if we get to that point. Well, I'm not saying Luis Garcia is this guy, but Trey Turner doesn't draw a lot of walks. And yet for years, uh, nobody had a problem with him batting up high. So, you know, if you get on base, you get on base. However you do it, you do it. And, you know, I I find it also encouraging and it's not surprising at this point, but here we have Alcides Escobar on the mend. He has started a minor league rehab assignment and Davey Martinez has made it clear to you guys, look, when Alcides is ready to come back to us at the major league level, it's going to be a backup. You know, he's going to be a part-time player, utility infielder, which is what some of us uh, said should have been the role to begin with here. But that's good that Davey is holding to what he said. Remember, when the Nats called Luis Garcia back up from AAA Rochester on June 1st, Davey really did make it sound like, okay, the job now is Luis Garcia's in terms of starting shortstop for the Nats, and the Nats are sticking with that, and that's very good to hear. Yeah, and he's already had the conversation with Alcides, so that's good, too. He's not just telling to us Alcides is on board with it. He understands situation. He's a good teammate. You know, whatever you want to say about him as a player, he understands the situation. And when he re-signed with them last winter, he knew there was a decent chance that he would not be starting for them opening day, but certainly not over the course of the whole season. Now, what will be interesting is, first of all, Luis has to continue to play well enough. I mean, I'm I'm not saying if he goes through a little slump, they're going to give up on him. But if he went through a long slump or was so bad defensively, they said, we can't continue with this. You need more seasoning. That would be one thing. The other thing to watch, of course, we've been talking about and you've been hyping up for so long. As we get to August 2nd, if a Cesar Hernandez ends up being traded and if they decide that Luis Garcia is not cut out to be a shortstop, perhaps he moved to second base, and you still have Alcides Escobar here to play shortstop for the remainder of the season. Long way to go to that. We'll see. They want to give Garcia every opportunity. I thought he made a nice play at shortstop in this game, a tough play. Now the pitch, swung on, ground ball to short. Handled by Garcia to Hernandez for one on the first double play. 6-4-3, retires the side. Luis Garcia down to a knee to field it, and a very good toss to Hernandez with plenty of time. But you've got to see it consistently. And there was also a play that Cesar made a real nice play up the middle and Garcia was late to get to second base uh, for the force out. So a lot of work to do there, obviously. But offensively, it's hard not to be impressed with what we've seen. Yeah. And, you know, I think with Luis Garcia's defense, it's not great. It is a work in progress, but it's also not so bad to where it's like an insult to the game of baseball. You know, like you can function with it. You can operate with it. You're willing to grow with it. I don't know. Sometimes I felt like it was made out to be like this guy was, you know, playing shortstop with no arms or something like that. Like, no, I mean, he's functional. 
He's just not great. He needs to get better. But, you know, I think you get better by playing and, and at the major league level. So we'll see. And yes, to everyone listening right now, mark your iPhone calendars. August 2nd, 6 p.m. Eastern is that MLB trade deadline. It will be a very uh, interesting day. Cabot Ruiz had an RBI single on Wednesday night. It was nice to see that. One more thing on the Nats offense from Wednesday night. So Victor Robles was the Nats starting center fielder. He went one for four with a single. He, in the bottom of the seventh, had what is becoming now a prototypical Victor Robles single. Weak contact into no man's land in the outfield. He had a hit like this on Tuesday night. He has a hit like this here on Wednesday night. He had the hit on an 0-2 pitch, so I give him credit for that. The single came with two outs. But Victor Robles got tagged out for the third out on a terrible base running blunder. Chopper passed them out, charging in his RC of the second baseman. Gloves and then juggles the ball. Robles rounds second. Where's he going? And he's tagged out. Robles had no idea that RC had bobbled the ball. He rounded second. RC had threw to the shortstop Swanson, and the inning is over. I saw you on Twitter deem this officially a toot bland uh, by Victor Robles. It's certainly not the first toot bland ever committed by Victor Robles. I mean, you know, it's always like, hey, at some point, bro, you got to grow out of this stuff. And he keeps doing stuff like this. Maybe not as often now as he had been, but, you know, other guys don't do this. Cabert Ruiz doesn't do this. Robles is still doing stuff like this. That was a really bad out that he made on the base paths. So, I mean, that kind of, to me, is the definition of, did he look like a nincompoop? Yeah, he looked like a nincompoop at the end of that play. That's one of those like, oh my God, what just happened? And this is what I was referring to earlier, where there's this moment that you think the Nats might be getting back into the game. And all the air was sucked out of the balloon because of that mistake. Now, I'm trying to think what he's thinking. And with two outs, there's a ground ball, and he's thinking the play isn't coming here to second. The play is going to first. He's going to field the ball. What if he throws it away? I want to be ready to advance to third. That's an okay thought process. But what you have to do is you have to actually see that that happens before you make the aggressive move to round second, especially when your run is not the one that's most important. You're down several runs at this point. So there's aggressive base running, but it has to be smart base running. You have to understand the situation and recognize that the play just behind you was not made and you cannot allow yourself to be hung out to dry like that. As I said, I was in the dugout or close to the dugout during this game. The reaction to the dugout was uh, not pleased with the way that that went. And we'll see. I don't know any ramifications of that. I mean, look, there's a fair question of here. It's clear that Lane Thomas is playing every day at this point. As far as whether Victor Robles is going to play every day or not, that to me depends on, is there a third starting outfielder who emerges? Right now, Soto's out, but we know he's going to be back. Yadiel Hernandez is not seizing the opportunity to be the everyday left fielder. If he did, Lane Thomas would be in center and Victor Robles would be on the bench. But because that hasn't happened, Victor is going to continue to get opportunities to play center field with Lane Thomas in left, at least on a semi-regular basis, until there's a better alternative. This is who they're going to go with. And until otherwise noted, you're going to continue to see these kind of mistakes. Yeah. So Victor, I mean, he's not an everyday player right now. He plays like two out of every three games, uh, two out of every four games at times. So, I mean, already we've seen a lessening of the Victor Robles playing time. But there's no question. I mean, Yadiel Hernandez is struggling big time right now. He on Wednesday night, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. His numbers for the season have come tumbling down. And, you know, there was a a time where he was one of the Nats' better batters this season. Nobody's saying that at this point. So, 
you know, if not for that, you're right. Victor Robles just might be, you know, your fourth outfielder. He might be the new Michael A. Taylor and just coming off the bench as a defensive replacement type. But, you know, it, it just it stands out with Robles. He's had those two series, Giants series, Rockies series. Aside from those series, he really hasn't done much this season. He makes a lot of weak contact. The hits that he gets, it feels like we're almost always these fluky hits, these weak contact hits. He does make good plays in the outfield. We give him credit for that. But, you know, he makes a base running blunder like this. And you're like, this is the same guy we've been seeing the last few years. Like, there's no growth. There's no evolution here. And it's just, uh, it's tough to continue to stomach. Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It feels like everything is going up these days, including home prices. And so there's no better time to have the look of your home go up and the value of your home go up with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. Take advantage of this offer. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. It's getting hot outside. Weather impacts your windows. Hot days can cause a caulk to crack, seal failures, and condensation. Window Nation only uses top-of-the-line materials, including mold spray and quad max sealant. Window Nation is the best. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask for the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now the pitch. Swing and a shot off the leg of Fenny deflects third base side. Franco picks it up. He has no play. Wow, that was loud. Trainer Paul aside, manager Davey Martinez, pitching coach Jim Hickey, all to the top of the steps. 
The Nats pitching right now is in a really rough way. We've chronicled that. A variety of circumstances have come together to just have this pitching staff as a whole reeling for the moment. And so what the Nats needed on Wednesday night, more than anything from Eric Fetty, was length, right? Eat up innings, please. The Nats are in the midst of a stretch of 14 games in 13 days. This is a really rough stretch here for the Nats that has been made even worse by what happened on Monday night with the rain and Josiah Gray and Steven Strasburg being injured. And, uh, you know, look, just the pitching not being very good to begin with here. So Eric Fetty got the ball on Wednesday night, and Eric Fetty ended up lasting for five and a third innings. Uh, He had a typical Eric Fetty final line, three runs in five and a third innings. Why is every final line for Eric Fetty three runs in five and a third innings, it feels like? He threw, this is really amazing when you think about it, 111 pitches over five and a third innings. Boy, you do not see that often. 111 pitches in five and a third innings, 64 strikes versus 47 balls. He continued to do that Eric Fetty thing that he does. He put so many guys on base. He gave up seven hits, a double and six singles, issued three walks, had a wild pitch, did have four strikeouts. That helped to drive up the pitch count. But boy, Mark, on a night on which the Nats needed length from Fetty, uh, they did not get length from Fetty. Here's the craziest part, Al. Two batters into the fifth inning. He has not recorded an out yet. This is when he took the comebacker off his bottom of his cleats. He's at 96 pitches already with no outs in the fifth. Davey Martinez said before the game, basically, he's going to give us 100 pitchers no matter what. It's just a question of can he do it in four or five innings or does he do it in six or seven? Obviously, they preferred six or seven, but it looked there for a while like he wasn't even going to give him five. And somehow, after that comebacker play, he ends up getting three outs on two pitches to get through the fifth on 98 and actually allow the opportunity to come back for the sixth. He strikes out William Contreras and then walks Adam Duvall, and then that's the end of it as the pitch count got up to 111. So for him even to get to the sixth was a minor miracle given the way that it was going on. I thought the results were okay. There was a tough two-out RBI two-run single by Michael Harris in the fourth. Up to that point, he's only given up one run. He gets out of that fifth inning jam, like we said. There's just so many long counts that it feels like even when he's going well, or even when he's not giving up a lot, He can't get quick outs, and he just doesn't give himself a chance to go later in games. Now, the Braves lineup, of course, is very good, and they're fouling things off and working the count. But this isn't the first time we've seen Eric Fetty do this. This is a standard, like you said, Eric Fetty start. He gave him a chance. I give him credit for that in a series in which their other starters did not do that. But him not being able to get through the sixth, and again, I mean, the odds of him getting through the sixth at this point were so slim because the pitch count was so high. But what that did now given the state of the bullpen, is that Davey now had to ask three different relievers to pitch multiple innings. And I think that, more than anything, is what cost them in this game. Because Ciszek gets through the sixth fine, then has trouble in his second inning of work. Then Carl Edwards Jr. gets through the seventh to finish that out fine, but then struggles in his second inning of work. And then Francisco Perez, he didn't give up any runs, but he got into trouble in his second inning of work. You should not have to ask relievers to do this, certainly three of them in one game going multiple innings, but this is the state they're in when the starters can't go deep enough and when you're already in trouble going into this game because of how the last few days have gone. If only the Nats had a veteran reliever at AAA who has pitched (laughs) a lot of innings over the years. I just, I wish they had someone at Rochester like that, but unfortunately, I just can't think of anyone they have at Rochester right now who could maybe do that. 
You know, when Eric Fetty threw nine starts, had an ERA of 355, we talked about, hey, this is encouraging. And uh, at the moment, he had the championship belt for best Nats starting pitcher this season. But we also noted this is around the time last year that his season started to fall off. Well, here we are now, four starts for Fetty since the ERA was at 355. And remember the start that got him to 355, six scoreless innings, six strikeouts in a game against the mighty Dodgers on May 25th. Since then, the ERA has ballooned. It's up to 488 on the season. He has a whip this season of 156, which obviously screams to how many base runners he allows game in, game out. And what really is killing him this season are the walks. His walks per nine innings is 445, which is very high, even by Eric Fetty standards. So this is exactly what we had last season. Good over the first nine or 10 starts, but really he's just come crashing down ever since. It's remarkable to me how this season, at least for now, is playing out how his 2021 season played out. Yeah. The only difference last year, there were a couple of little injuries and a, you know, the COVID IL, fortunately, has not had any of that this year. But I keep coming back to the idea that he very regularly was only giving up, say, three runs a game, which, you know, that's what you want, hopefully, out of your starter. But the problem is he doesn't give you enough innings. And so that compresses the workload and that makes the ERA go up. Three runs over seven innings, that's great. They'll take that in a heartbeat. Three runs over five, five and a third, that's when you're getting into trouble. And that's where, he, unfortunately, he has consistently been. This is who he is. You know, he's a back of the rotation starter on this team. He's more than that because they don't have uh, more reliable options. But until they have five starters who are better, he's going to be a part of it. He's going to have to give them innings, just like Patrick Corbin, and try to give them a chance to win games. Like I said, he gave him a chance, of course, but he could have been better. He could have gone deeper and could have helped out the rest of the pitching staff, which has been in such disarray all week. So now comes this long-anticipated five-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park. Five games in four days included in the mix is a day-night doubleheader on Friday and then the uh, four o'clock game on Saturday afternoon with the Nats will retire Ryan Zimmerman's number 11. We know two of the starters for the Nats in this five-game series, right? We know Patrick Corbin game one on Thursday night and then Josiah Gray for game four on Saturday. Do, we do not know any of the other starters, or do we now? We do know Jackson Tatro on Sunday. That's That's been announced, at least. The doubleheader starters have not been announced yet. Now, here's what's going on there. I think they want it, or they kind of need it to be, Paolo Espino and Evan Lee. The problem was, given what's happened the last few days, Davey needed both guys in the bullpen just in case both on Wednesday, and we'll probably see it again on Thursday. He was able to avoid going to them on Wednesday, so that's good. That sets him up at least one of them, you would think, to start on Friday. But he just didn't want to go so far as to actually name them both his starters until he knows for sure he doesn't need them prior to that point. They're working day-to-day right now. It's all they can do right now, given the state of the pitching staff. If one of them does have to be used out of the bullpen, if Corbin gets lit up early and and Paolo or Evan has to come in and pitch on uh, Thursday. I don't know what they do for the other start on Friday. They don't have a lot of options. I guess there are some guys at AAA, maybe Ioana Doan, depending on his schedule. I haven't even looked at it. They got to get through this. If they get through Sunday, off day Monday, two games in Baltimore, another off day, now they can kind of hit the reset button on their rotation, line things up the way they want. But even as much as Tatro struggled in his debut, he's going to have to start Sunday because they've got six games in five days. They need six starters, and right now he's one of them. 
So Josiah Gray is going to start Saturday. He was supposed to start Monday night. He didn't because of the unexpected rain. So all he ended up doing was warming up. I'm asking this legitimately. I'm not trying to mock this because I believe in, you know, you want to treat Josiah Gray with care and, you know, you don't want to be reckless. But why can't he start sooner than Saturday? Why is it that he was supposed to pitch Monday night? He threw a warm-up session. Okay, fine. He couldn't have pitched at all at any point over these last few days or at all in the upcoming days. It has to be not until Saturday that he pitches. That strikes me as odd. He could have done it. That's not the issue here. He could have done it. What they decided was essentially... Here's a young kid who we know they're kind of watching closely this year, maybe on an in- innings count when it's all said and done. And they just decided, you know what, we're going to just treat this like we're skipping his turn and bring him back. And maybe that helps save some innings for down the stretch later on. They want to get him through the whole season healthy. They wanted to make as many starts as possible. Maybe they had a hunch that at some point along the way they'd have to do something like this just to try to manage the innings. That's what it amounted to. He could have physically started at some point before then, but they made the call and said, let's just skip his turn altogether. Now, as we said the other night, the decision to do that has a domino effect on a lot of other guys and a lot of other situations. And it does tell you where this organization's mindset is right now. Davey can talk about trying to go 1-0 and every day all he wants. That's fine. He needs to do that for the guys in his clubhouse. But we know that is not necessarily the motivation, nor necessarily should it be the motivation right now, even if it does make things tough to watch in those games in the interim. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I would say is, boy, this is a heck of a week to skip Josiah Gray's start. Like, this is maybe the worst week of the season to do that in with all of these games bunched in and all of the things going on with their pitching right now. So, I guess if they can stomach it, more power to you. But man, this is this is a whopper of a week to be doing something like that. So we'll see. And yeah, you know, with the Nats, I mentioned this a few shows ago, but they are essentially tanking this year. Like this is what a tanking team is. It's not about telling players not to win. It's about how are you devoting your resources and how are you attacking a season? And the Nats very clearly are not attacking this season, trying to win. It's more about building, which is the way to go. But that's what this is right now. I mean, what they did in the offseason, they, I mean, look at who they added and what they spent, right? Like they understood what this season was going to be. And that's where they are, which is fine. But I mean, I think it's worth highlighting something like that. So we'll see. Uh, you can always email the podcast, natchatpodcast at gmail.com. Email from James Bailey. He says, uh, love your podcast. Thank you, James. He says, it's time to move on from Rizzo. The pitching staff is all his fault, both at the majors and minors. I remember when he talked about five 15-year plans to keep the organization winning. We could see a rebuild similar to the Orioles rebuild, I hope, but I can see it. Yeah, I mean, look, we've discussed it. A lot of this does fall on Mike Rizzo because ultimately, and just to kind of loop back to what we hit on at the top of the show, You can talk about losing Anthony Rendon and Bryce Harper. You can talk about Steven Strasburg being hurt. You can talk about Patrick Corbin and his decline, but you need to have guys to replace those guys. And the Nats don't. Other organizations lose guys to free agency, lose guys to injury. You see it all the time, but they have people in their farm systems who come up and replace those guys. And the Nats haven't had that. And that's really what this is about. I mean, Right now with the Nats, the low-hanging fruit is like the Soto contract ordeal and other things, Strasburg. What really matters is drafting and player development. That's what this really is all about. That's what needs to get fixed more than anything with this team. You're 100% right. And you mentioned earlier on, the contrast was so evident. The Atlanta Braves are a team that has had plenty of roster turnover 
and they always have more young guys coming up through their system, both pitching and position players, and that's how they are able to sustain success. They go out and spend calculatedly on free agents, but not a ton. They certainly haven't spent the way the Nats have on free agents. Think about this fact. They let Freddie Freeman, a franchise quarterstone, walk. (laughs) Okay? They don't seem to be any worse off for it, as difficult as that was to see happen. That is an organization that knows how to continue to do it. As far as Mike Rizzo is concerned, it is 100% fair to put the blame on him first and foremost for the situation the Nationals found themselves in last July, where they did finally have to decide to tear it down and start all over. And if you want to blame him for the fall from the World Series to that point and say that now that that was a point to make a change and start over, that's a a valid argument that somebody can make. What I would just say is, since that point, once you decide to let him make the trades, once you decide to let him start this rebuilding project, I'm not sure how you can evaluate him on what's happened since then. I think you have to give him the opportunity now to see if he can make good on this and actually rebuild. Now, maybe he's not the right one for it. Maybe whenever his contract is up, you say it's time to move on. But as with Davey Martinez, you want to judge them on what they did in the past. That's fine. But once they made the call and said, we are starting over, we're tearing this thing down, how do you not now give them time to try to make good on it? I don't think it's fair to evaluate the 2022 Nationals as the evidence of the job that Rizzo and Davey have done since they decided to tear down the team and start over. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think they have earned the right to try to work their way out of this. It's just, it really strikes you that they are in this predicament to begin with. And I know that Mike Rizzo is telling people on the record and off the record that this is going to be a quick rebuild and, you know, next year could be like 2012 and then we start to get good again. I hope he's right. Right now, I don't see it, and I don't think a lot of Nats fans see it, okay? I I think right now that there's an element here of just saying stuff to try to make people feel better. Their farm system is still not in very good shape. In 2010, 2011, you know, they had already drafted Strasburg and Harper, and then they were about to draft Rendon, and, you know, Jordan Zimmerman was in the organization. Ian Desmond was in the organization. There were young players on the rise. I don't know if you have that right now. I guess maybe you do if a lot of guys work out. But that seems to be a very glass half full way of looking at things. And it doesn't feel right now like next year is going to be 2012. You know, I hope that's that is the case. And next year is like 2012. Boy, it sure doesn't feel that way right now. I think they would. He's not going to rule out 2023, but I think they would view next year more like 2011 and then 2024 as the potentially go for it year um, that they were, you know, he compared last year to 2009, their low point, maybe this year is like 2010. But you're right, you need to start seeing the evidence of this. Now, we've kind of written off a generation of their top draft picks who have not panned out. We've gone through the whole list. You need to now see Brady House. I mean, it's going to be a few years till he's up here, but you need to see him develop the way he's supposed to. Cade Cavalli, there's going to be so much pressure on this kid when he gets here. He's going to have to live up to it. And we don't know if that's going to happen. The numbers of AAA is pretty erratic. We don't really know. He's going to have to live up to it. Cole Henry is going to have to live up to it. This year's number one pick, whoever that is, that'll be fifth in the country, is going to have to be slam dunk, prove within a few years to be a big league player and a big time big league player. And just like last summer, whatever moves they make this summer, 
trade-wise, and they don't have the chips they did last year. They don't have Scherzer and Turner. Whatever they can get for whatever the best thing they have to offer up, you're going to need to see some evidence as well of a Cabert Ruiz, Josiah Gray, Lane Thomas, those kind of players coming up to the big leagues fairly soon. All those things need to hit (laughs) for this team to win within the next couple of years. It's a lot to ask, but until they have the opportunity to do all that, you know, I'm, I'm withholding judgment. Yeah. And the 2011 team finished right around 500. That would be quite an accomplishment. If- and had a managerial change in midseason. Yeah. So we'll see. You know, the other thing, too, with the Braves, it gets forgotten. They had that scandal. They had that international scouting scandal. OK, so it's not just that the team got bad. There was a major issue with the team's front office. And yet still, the Braves have gotten to be good to where the Braves are on this run now of constantly winning uh, the National League East. Well, you tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats chat podcast, hit up Tim Shover's Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats chat podcast t-shirt by going to Nats chat podcast dot square dot site where your Nats chat podcast t-shirts loudly and proudly over the course of this five-game series against the Phillies. We don't know how much there's going to be to cheer for other than the retirement of Ryan Zimmerman's number. So wear your Nats Chat podcast t-shirt if you want reason to feel good about things. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. Here's a swing and a drive hit well to deep right center field. This is way back. This is going, going, and going goodbye. Luis Garcia has the Nationals' first hit of the night and lands it in section 142 over the big wall.